Hello to everyone listening. This is the Platinum Mask podcast with Grayson Mask. I have with me Mary Lee Kick, the founder and CEO of Buzzballs. Um, thank you again, Mary Lee, for jumping on this podcast with me and helping me out this episode. Um, really, I kind of was mainly, um, when I was reaching out is kind of really with the product. I was very interested just with the pandemic kind of causing all these drinks to go and kind of how unique your product is. And then also just randomly, I saw on Instagram, I knew a few different of the promoters and models you guys were using for um, kind of Instagram photos and stuff uh, to uh, do brand awareness of the product. But yeah, I kind of recognize a few people and just thought, hey, it's kind of a small world. Yeah, sure is. You know, we try to to use local people if we can, real people if we can, you know, it, it, it just brings it home more. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I kind of wanted to mainly get into really just start off with the founding uh, of Buzzballs. Um, really, when I saw the original Voyage Dallas article, I was reading through some of the kind of the backstory um, and just had kind of more questions. I know you started off originally as a teacher at Plano West Senior High School, and you were that was your background. You're working on an MBA, but you know, I was kind of wondering if you want to walk me through the original founding of the company and if there was, I guess, a single moment where you kind of realized that, you know, this product had like it was an untapped market. Well, you know, it, it didn't all just happen at once. It's one of those evolution things that one thing builds on another. Um, I was getting my MBA and I was grading papers by the pool. And while I was getting my MBA, one of the projects that was on my mind that I had to finish up was my capstone project. It was my final project for my MBA. And so um, I was drinking a cocktail, grading papers, um, and I had a little round votive candle next to me. So I thought, you know, why don't I make a party ball? You know, something that's fun, something that is strong, gives you a little buzz, um, but it's strong enough and fresh enough that um, it's it's like something I would make at home. So that was kind of like the the original thought of it. Um, I poured my uh, heart and soul into it for that capstone project and decided to take it live. Um, and from then on, my sons also helped me with that. So. Um, it was an evolution of design and structural stability on the container um, and then machinery creation uh, and then getting all the permits. So all of that took about nine months from start to finish to get that launched and have our first sale to Glaciers, Southern Glaciers. Mm-hmm. And, you Definitely. know, I didn't know it would I didn't know it would be a, a success. You know, I don't I, I don't think, you know, what's going to happen in the future. I. I thought it was cool, but I didn't know if it was going to win or not um, until, I don't know, two years into it. And Mm -hmm. I took it to the Wine and Spirits Wholesalers of America trade show. And my son and I were there with our little 10 by 10 booth and showing off our wares. And distributors came by and looked at it. And we got 15 new state distributions overnight. So that was a big deal. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to actually kind of, uh, you mentioned your sons coming into the project. Were they, uh, I guess, a part of the original founding of the company or when did they, I guess, come into their roles? Well, I mean, in terms of founding, there was a lot of founding stuff that went on, you know, just talking about what color should we make these, you know, how, 
Um, how big should we make them? How tall should we make them? You know, how many should we put in a pack? Um, how many on a pallet? You know, just things like that. You know, there was just things that I was bouncing ideas off of for them. But primarily, I was the one that was, you know, building it and putting it together. Um, and then when um, production began, it was, you know, I hired my sons to come in and help, you know, sweep the floor, help wipe the containers, pack the boxes, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, Andrew and Alex um, are officially the president and vice president in Buzz. Well, yeah, I mean, at first I was president. They were both vice president. And um, now over time, because we're 10 years in on this, Alex is the president. I'm the CEO. And Andrew is still a vice president, but he's he was in charge of our biggest market, which was California for sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just recently transitioned to a sales operations role. Oh, OK. And how have you, um, I guess adapted well to because, I mean, obviously, I guess managing California would be definitely a huge role to uh, step into. Have they been able to adapt to, I guess, large scale operations like that? Uh, the boys, my sons. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would be lost without them. Alex does a lot of the operational side of things, just like I do. Um, we all do R and D together. Um, and, um, Andrew is deeply involved in sales and, um, depletion data, VIP data, uh, karma, uh, Nielsen data, um, making sure our shipments get out, um, and tracking, uh, versus what we um, asked our distributors to do and, you know, how they're coming along. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And with um, really to talk about, I, I wanted to ask on really the diversity within the company and within the industry, because I saw, I think on the website, is it that, was this the first uh, woman-led um, winery and spirits combo, or am I getting that wrong? Yeah, no, you're getting it right. Sort of. It's it's the only woman owned distillery, winery and brewery now combo. Um, So we have all three facets under the TTB. If it's alcohol, we can make it Um, Mm -hmm. so we can make malt based beverages. We can make wine based beverages or spirit based beverages. Okay, I didn't know about the 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 brewery part on. So there's okay. so there's going there's malt based products. Not yet. No, we just have the uh, permit. We have the capability. Um, we were asked by Pabst a long time ago to possibly join with them on some projects. And so we went ahead and applied for those permits and got it. Um, we didn't end up doing a deal with Pabst, but, um, you know, it, it's it's great for us because we can make our own brew if we want to. We can make a malt based beverage if we want to. And we like to leave our options open. Mm-hmm. Is that... Um I guess is the licensing part a big part of the company as far as collaborating with existing brands um, with your technology, or um, do you guys create, I guess, uh, I guess original products on your own lines outside of? We other- we do very little private label. We we hardly do any. Ninety eight percent of everything we do is our own brands. Um, so, you know, we, we are an innovation company. We create our new own flavors, our own brands, our own marketing, our own labels. Um, 
And we do all of our own compliance as well. So all the legal compliance that goes along with creating a brand and reporting it to the Alcohol, Tobacco, Tax and Trade Bureau or the state level compliance as well. Mm-hmm. Or international for that matter. <laughs> well, with, uh, I guess with um, really being the first woman led wine cocktail or wine spirits and brewery combination, uh, really, I wanted to ask on your thoughts on were you are you optimistic within about diversity within the entire industry, I guess, moving forward after COVID-19 or I guess your thoughts on that? I, I guess um, being the only woman owned distillery winery um, brewery is something that I never tried to go out and be or become. It just happened to be that. And so for me, you know, it's an interesting question because really I'm, I'm, I'm a member of a lot of women owned women groups, you know, women presidents organization, C200, NABO, WPO, all all these women's groups. Um, But really diversity is not important to me. Um, The important thing to me is innovation and, you know, making an excellent product. So to me, it really doesn't matter. You know, I think men and women both are equally gifted. They're just differently gifted. And um, you have to tap into that person's skills, you know, what they're great at and, and get the best out of them. Yeah. Definitely. And, and it's, um, really, when you mention uh, all the different things that your company does um, within house, um, you know, I wasn't really uh, aware of, you know, talking about like doing compliance in house and everything. Was it, uh, I guess when you founded the company, when you came into the industry, did you have a lot of connections within companies or the industry or, um, were you coming completely fresh? Yeah. I mean, I was a high school teacher, so I didn't know anybody in the wine and spirits industry. I'd never worked for anybody. No, nobody in my family had ever worked for anybody in the industry. Um, so, you know, really the only experience I had was drinking when I was in high school and in college, you know, so <laughs> uh, that was the, the depth of my experience. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, it was, it was something I could Google. It was something I could teach myself and, um, figure out the rules and, and do it. Mm-hmm. And was there any, I guess, challenges on when you're a new company into the industry and you don't have those connections, was there any challenges on, I guess, bringing in talent or getting quality talent to come to your company as far as, um, you know, if you're new to the industry? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I put out ads on Craigslist and um, hired people for $10, $13 an hour, you know, to, to work with me. And they didn't have experience in the industry either, but they were willing to roll up their sleeves and work hard. And I think, I think that when you're new and you're starting your own company, no matter what kind of company it is, you want to look for people that fit your culture, you know, that fit your mentality. Uh, They may have the best skills whatsoever, but they may not match your personality or your drive or your will to succeed. So um, you need to find complementary people that are willing to work hard. And then as time goes on and you become more sophisticated and your brand starts growing in the market, you will have to add on. So at that time, you know, like back in 2015, 2013, 2014, right around there, we had to bring in some sales staff 
And, and these weren't experienced salespeople. These were people that we groomed to be salespeople. And over time, they did okay. They didn't do amazing, but they did okay. In 2017, though, we brought in the heavy hitters. So, you know, we wanted to make sure we had people that really had a depth of experience in the industry and all those relationships. Mm-hmm. And was there, uh, so in 2017, you brought in the heavy hitters, was it, um, um, did you have to, uh, pay higher salaries for that or, oh, yeah. uh, okay. What, um, did you guys have, I guess a I lot mean, they of, were making, they were making more money than I am, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's, you know, basically you sacrifice yourself, you fall on your sword and say, I need you. And, um, they go, okay. And then they bring in all of their relationships in tow. And, um, you know, they're not going to come for free because they're leaving careers from 25 years of career experience and experience with big companies. Um, but they want to leave because they want to try something different. They want something exciting. They don't want to do a job that they can do in their sleep every single day when they come into work. So they want to do something fun. They want to be part of something and growing something and developing something they can call their own. Um, and um, that's why they come on board. Sometimes they don't want to work for a big conglomerate or a big company because there's there's so many rules, so much time it takes to get something done in a big company, whereas in a small private company, you just blow and go. Mm-hmm. And when uh, you talked about like the 25 years of experience from these heavy hitters, is it, do you primarily look for sales experience or industry experience? Um, so in one case, I went to the guy that was the first buyer of my brand at Southern Glaciers, um, Blair Casey. So he was the first guy I hired that was a heavy hitter. And um, I went to him. He, I'd, I'd known him for 10 years. He'd been representing my brand, representing Southern Glaciers and Gallo products and a whole bunch of other products. Um, and I just said, I think you should join forces with me. And so, you know, a bit of back and forth went on. I went and asked his manager if I could have him. You know, you have to get the blessing from somebody at Southern Glaciers. And, and you have to um, explain to them, hey, if I do bring him on board, it could mean a win for you too. You know, here's how you're going to win when my brand blows up, you know? So, um, and then the other people, sometimes I'd find them on LinkedIn, you know, LinkedIn is a powerful tool. You put an ad out there and, and you'll get some people responding. You don't always have to pay headhunter fees. Um, you know, you can find some really great people that have experience that, um, you can tap into and, and just, Call them, ask them, email them. Would you ever be interested in this kind of opportunity? Mm-hmm. Or would you know anybody that would be interested in this kind of opportunity? And then you go back again to that culture question. Does this person fit my culture after you talk to them? Because they may be a complete dork, you know, and, and you bring them in. And it's like, oh, I could never work with them, you know. So, but yeah. we've been pretty lucky. <laughs> so you stress the, I guess, the importance of a culture fit. So I guess uh, if you wanted to explain, you know, what what is the culture of Buzzballs, if you had to explain to someone? I think it's a fun family culture. Um, I've got people that have worked for me for nine, 10 years. They don't leave. We don't have a lot of turnover. Um, and, and I like that because we do things um, just on a more personal level. Everybody knows everybody, um, and uh, it's more of a family away from home. 
Um, and, and they're funny and they, they like to party. They like to hang out together. I mean, some of them don't, but for the most part, you know, each cloud, each clump of people, you know, they know each other really well and they get along pretty well. Um, um, we give them free lunch every day. Um, we give them time off for their birthday. Um, we give them time off between Christmas and New Year's to um, be with their family outside of PTO days off. Um, during COVID, we, we did some special stuff for them as well. Um, you know, so we can get into COVID next if you want. But, you know, we do a lot of things. We pay really well and um, we take care of our people. So um, I think that that's why they stay. Definitely. As you kind of mentioned, um, really COVID-19 was really a subject that I wanted to talk about and really its effects on a lot of different, you know, uh, on all, you know, aspects and different industries, but, you know, also with wine and spirits. Has there been any adapting needed when it came to primarily like on-premise divisions or with the company? Uh, we didn't sell much in on-premise at all. We never have. Um, we we're primarily off-premise brand. Um, we had a few on-premise accounts, but not really much to speak of. Um, we, in our off-premise, what we were worried about was, at first when COVID broke, we didn't know whether we would be deemed an essential business or not, or if we'd have to shut the doors. So what we did was we pivoted and we made hand sanitizer and we made you know 18,000 gallons of it. So it was about $500,000 of donations of hand sanitizer. We gave it to our distributors. We gave it to our major um, retailers. We gave it to uh, first responders, sheriff's departments, police departments, um, hospitals, um, lab tech types of places, old folks' homes. Um, so we did all of that all throughout the Dallas-Fort Worth area and then inter- and then re- uh, nationally for our distributors as well. Each each distributor got some, plus the airlines did too. So we gave mm-hmm. some to Spirit Airlines, American Airlines, Southwest Airlines um, to help them out. Um, the other things we did was, you know, we cook lunch for everybody every day. We started making to-go lunches for everybody every day. So, you mm-hmm. know, just changing things around, hand-washing protocols, um, safety uh, meetings, things like that, so that we can always make sure that our employees were as safe as they could be. Sometimes we gave out um, bonuses, you know, stay bonuses, like, hey, you know, don't work from home. Our production has to be on the floor to make booze. We can't do it from home. So we're like, you know, if you stay through the end of next week, we'll give each one of you $1,000, you know, in cash for a bonus. Um, and then the temps came in and said, do the temps get it too? You know, so, you know, they were really excited. We also had times where we said, you know, you guys have been working really hard, bring your thirstiest car to the gas pump down the way and we'll fill your car up with gas. You got somebody standing by, that's all they're going to do all day long is pump gas, you know, and fill your car. So, um, you know, just things like that, I think mean a lot to them that we're trying, you know, we're really trying hard to, um, take care of them. Um, and then, you know, whenever we had anybody that got COVID, I mean, it was a long time before we ever got anybody that got COVID. Um, most everybody just turned it around if, if they had it, not very many people got it, but, um, Mm -hmm. if they did get it, most of them, uh, were fine in a couple of days. We had a couple of people that really were, took it hard and got it bad. 
Um, but, but they recovered. And, um, so I'm just hoping that everybody gets their shot and, you know, we can all be safe on the floor, but yeah. Um, one other thing we did too, is, um, when employees were forced to go to work, you know, they, they need to go to work so they can pay their bills, but their kids had to do remote learning. So as a teacher, former teacher, I was like, what are we going to do? You know, I mean, these kids, they need a, somebody to watch them during the day and these parents have to work. So we started a little remote school. We hired a TEA certified teacher and an aide and um, converted a conference room and got the kids playroom all set up. So it's this this little school, buzzball school. We call it the nest. And um, these little kids come to school at 6 a.m. and they get their snack and we watch them till school starts, help them with their homework, make sure they get logged on into their school, make sure they're we're there to help teach them, train them. And then at the end of the day, we we send them back to their parents. So Mm -hmm. you think um, I guess have the employees been responding well as far as morale or just the fatigue of COVID-19? Because I know with a lot of. A lot of people are just like uh, just the amount of Zoom rooms uh, or uh, Skype and everything. It's just it definitely has a fatigue effect uh, amongst a lot of companies. Has, has there been? Do you think it's been better with Buzzball? Um, I think that you always try to look at the silver lining on that. Most of our employees are. Um, we've got 250 employees now, and um, most of them are production personnel. You know, so they're out there on the floor. They're not on Zooms. Um, they're working the production, um, prep or print or, you know, uh, shipping, you know, so they're in the actual production manufacturing environment. Um, the people that are in the offices, accounting um, and, and a sales team, you know, um, I, I, I don't think they care one way or another. I think the sales team, I love Zoom because it saves us a whole bundle on, tr- you know, travel and uh, entertainment expense and um, I think it's fantastic, you know, that it forced us to use, uh, you know, video conferencing instead of having to fly out to California or New York or, you know, it's expensive. And, mm-hmm. you know, it means that you have to spend a lot on, on travel and entertainment. And then you have to make that up somehow with your product sales just to break even. So um, for me, I think it's been kind of cool, kind of good. It's a quick mm-hmm. way to connect and it, it really forces you to communicate. It, does it get tiring? Yes. Do I get tired of sitting in Zoom all day? Yes. But, but there's there's good parts. Mm-hmm. I, I guess what do you think video conferencing will continue after COVID-19? Um, I guess with sales, because you definitely mentioned the benefits on um, really just the time and finances that can save um, with entertainment and with sales. Um, do you think that will be a large degree will be done virtually with sales or do you think a lot of wine and spirits will continue with? I mean, if I was uh, the boss of any company, not just wine and spirits, but I would say, yeah, utilize it as much as you can and, you know, only travel when you need to and, and travel when um, it makes sense to like, if you need ambassadors out in the market, that are going to each Seven Eleven. You have to be out there. Um, If you need to build relationships and go in for meetings, you go do those things. But in terms of the general day-to-day conversations, instead of just talking on the phone or texting, you can now have a video conference. And and those those protocols, I think it'll continue. I think 
a lot of businesses will scale it back some, but I, I, I think that overall it's going to continue. Mm-hmm. Well, I really wanted to uh, ask about, and like with COVID-19 as well, but um, really I know, and, and some of the articles I read in BuzzBalls, you talked about uh, really the dangers of growing too fast uh, at an early stage um, when you're founding a company. And I was wondering um, if you wanted to kind of expand on that on, you know, was there any moments where the company was expanding too fast or was spread too thin? Um, And then how did you, I guess, deal with uh, those issues? Well, I think that anytime you own a manufacturing company, you, um, you reach a plateau and then you develop something new. And then when you develop something new, you have to increase your staff or increase your capital expenditures on equipment um, and inventory and things like that to go make it. And then if it sells, if it hits, if it takes off, then there's always a, hey, you're out of stock, you know, and so you're constantly playing this leveling game of, okay, add more people, add more money, add more stuff, you're selling more, keep going, make it bigger, make it faster. You know, now you need more equipment, you know, find more rental space to put that equipment. You know, now you need more staff. Now you need to run three shifts, you know. So it's it's a constant circle of uh, kind of like a hamster on a wheel, you know, of of keeping up with growth. And you never, ever catch up. You catch up with a task or with one of the tasks, but you keep going because you have other tasks, hopefully, that you've set forward that you're still in motion on. Um, and you're always on this runway, you know, that's always out in front of you. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And do you think, has it gotten better uh, over time or do you think it's still kind of like, are you still on the hamster wheel? Um, I think that it's not that it was bad. Um, I think that that's a sign of a healthy growing company. Um, if you don't have growth and innovation, then you grow stagnant and you don't have any change. Um, you know, it's kind of like if you think about a, a musician, they've got to keep making new songs or else they go dead on the radio. You know, they, they, there's only so many plays they can play on that song. So, you know, you, you've got to develop new stuff. You've got to innovate. You've got to be different. You've got to um, make something that the market wants. And then, you know, go exploit that, you know, but you've always got to be thinking about what's the next thing. Now, some companies like to follow. So they'll wait till somebody has a hit and then they'll go try to quickly, quickly replicate that, you know, Mm -hmm. and follow, which is the case on all of these. um, You know, if you see all of these malt beverages out on the market, you know, truly White Claw. And then everybody wants a a malt beverage because malt beverage is, you know, hot right now. Um, you know, it, it's like following the leader on a vodka or a flavored vodka or this or that, you know, it's just everybody follows and makes a, a lemon vodka or a grapefruit vodka or, you know, I mean, that's not real innovation to me. <laughs> and really was kind of my last question. I wanted to ask you, you talked about in the importance of innovation and really, I just wanted to ask on if there's any long-term, I guess, post-COVID goals that Buzzballs um, is kind of setting its eye on or, you know, any future projects that it's setting its eye on. Obviously, you know, don't want you to, you don't have to give it too much details, but I just kind of want to ask on that. 
Yeah, we always have um, innovation meetings and um, innovation ideas. So our motto is to reinvent happy hour and uh, to come up with cool ways to celebrate happy hour. So that may not always have to be having to do with alcohol. Um, you know, there's a healthier version of, of, uh, people out there now. And then there's other people that are into weed and other things, you know, so there's different ways that people celebrate and relax. And, um, so we're tapping into some of that, uh, without going into too much detail, uh, <laughs> on this, but, you know, R and D is always really exciting for me. It's one of the things I love. I, I love being an inventor and, um, you know, coming up with things that taste great and look great and uh, that are fun. Definitely. Well, I'm really looking, uh, reinventing happy hour sounds like a, a, a really cool project and concepts. And I'm looking forward to what products and what um, programs that Buzzballs comes out with on reinventing. Yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I, I had a conversation with um, um, Better Drinking Culture um, really on the podcast, but yeah, it's definitely kind of an idea on reinventing, um, really just drinking lifestyle, kind of the happy hour. But no, that's, yeah, it's definitely really cool. Well, thank you very much for having me on here. I appreciate you taking the time. Definitely. Thank you again, yeah, for coming on this podcast episode. Um, you know, really great conversation on the product and just the industry as a whole. But yeah, looking forward to see where this company goes. Thank you. Definitely. Thank you.